7.01 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program to St. Ricketts. Liaison of player and club engagement for the Vancouver Whitecaps is going to join us in just a second here to kick off hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find a perfect fit at Kintech.net. The Vancouver Whitecaps continue this lengthy, arduous seven-match road swing tomorrow uh, in Utah, Real Salt Lake. Their former home temporarily. Remember that? When they were they were based out of Utah oh, during yeah. the pandemic, yeah. yeah, home sweet home. They're back, at, yeah. They're back at RSL. That's uh, six thirty tomorrow. Joining us now to talk about all that and more, as mentioned, former player now a liaison player and club engagement for the Whitecaps to St. Ricketts here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet six fifty. Morning, Toss. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, so I've, I've mentioned the title that you currently hold with the club a couple of times. It's fairly unique in terms of front office roles and you know business cards and everything. Liaison of player and club engagement. When you officially retired and you joined the club in this front office role, what was the job supposed to look like? Well, it was it was all new. Um, you know, leading up to this, the, the two years, my final two years with the Whitecaps, I was in a dual role where I was, you know, training, fulfilling my uh, football obligations. But then in the afternoons, I was going into the office to work in the front office out of the community department. And, you know, during that time, I was also doing my bachelor's. I, I achieved my master's as well. So I was kind of prepping for this role in the front office. But of course, you know, when you're transitioning, you don't know what exactly you want to do in the front office. I know I like the the business side of sports, but also had the expertise on the, on the soccer operations, but you know, my passion really lied in the business. So coming into the role, you know, I wanted to of course impact the players and bridge the gap between the business operations and the soccer operations. But I also want to get experience across all the departments of the organization. So that's kind of what the role is and what the role has been for me this season. And given that you've, you know, you represented Canada over 60 times, you've played in Europe, you've played in North America, you've obviously made a lot of contacts, you've obviously gained a lot of friends along the way. And Jason and I have talked about this with the Whitecaps, dating back to like when Mark DeSantos was in charge, like being able to scout and get a hold of different players and talk to agents. It's overwhelming because football is truly like a global sport. There's a lot of leagues. There's a lot of players. Like there's need, like over a thousand players. You right? need like, you need you need a very in depth <laughs> scouting department. But you also need people who know people and you know a lot of guys. So you know, I was reading what Junior Hoyland had to say when he upon joining the Whitecaps, and that was the latest Canadian international to join. And he said, "Yeah, Toss played a major role. He's the one that reached out to me and showed me the opportunity and ambitions. If it wasn't for him." I don't think I would have been here. What can you tell us about the conversations you had with Hoylett in order to get him to sign in Vancouver? Well, I mean, it, it all happens quickly and always does, especially with transfers in, in the game of football and game of soccer for our Canadian viewers. But um, it all happened quickly. So, um, you know, I reached out to Junior. Obviously, we expressed our club expressed interest. Uh, Axel, also Quinn Thompson, they came to me and asked me about Junior because he was free. So I'm like, let me speak to him, you know, 
ex-teammate of mine, good friend of mine, and, uh, you know, somebody that I know very well. So I reached out to Junior, asked him what his situation was. He was currently free, which means he did not have a club, um, not because of his performance or anything, but but because of his his club got relegated last season. So they went into the third league of England, which was a bit lower than the level he was comfortable playing at. So, um, you know, I reached out to him. I I showed him the opportunity. I told him about uh, Vancouver. I told him, you know, things that footballers want to hear and things that, you know, they're, they're looking to help them commit to a big change like that, because moving your family from, you know, England to Canada is a, is a big deal. And obviously it's his first time in MLS, which is new to him. So, you know, I just kind of made him comfortable with the idea, explained to him how the team is, you know, our ambitions, you know, where we plan to be and the mentality and how it's shifting here. And he, he was all for it and, and, you know, happy to come sign here at Whitecaps. Tell us a little bit about the Whitecaps ambitions and what you tell players. Um, you know, it's there's a certain type of profile, certain type of, of player that, that we want here because, you know, there's no passengers. If you see the way we play in our style of play, we're, we're high intensity, we're high press, high work rate. You know, our stars like Ryan Gold, you know, they're, he's running like 11, 12K a game. And if you compare that to Toronto FC stars in, in the match we played last weekend, you know, their stars are running 8K. So, you know, our star player, the guy who's, creating those special moments, you know, giving assists, scoring goals. He's outworking everyone on the pitch. So that's kind of our identity. That's kind of our model, and that's what's helped us uh, be successful this season. How important is it for a team to have an identity? So important. You know, um, MLS, it's, it's fine margins. You know, with the salary cap, you know, you can't just go and spend and bring in all the best players. So, you know, you need role players. You need a clear identity. You need um, something that keeps the group together and and that's what our that's what keeps us together that identity that no team is going to outwork us you know we're going to always try to be on the front foot and stick to that that blue collar mentality is it sometimes hard to stick by that identity and i'm not t- just talking about the white caps i'm just talking about mls in general because you can want to have that identity almost like a blue collar identity but at the same time you're like oh maybe if we got someone with some name recognition or some star power uh, we'd sell a few more tickets but if that guy doesn't fit our identity then all of a sudden we've got this mishmash team and i'm not speaking for you here but i wonder if that's happened at a place like tfc yeah that's definitely it and it's a fine balance you know because you can you can get those big name star players that fit your identity but you know, if you miss on your DP, because those players don't come here for a one-year contract and small money. They want long-term big money. So if you commit to the wrong player, it can really affect you long-term. But, you know, attracting the market, you know, getting the, you know, getting the fans on board doesn't always have to come from a big player. And, and that's why players like Sam Atacube, Canadian international, someone who grew up in Vancouver through the system, you know, a lot of fans relate with. Uh, Richie Larea, Canadian international, you know, big time player, someone who the fans can re- relate with, and Junior Hoylet. Those, those are Canadian boys, you know, that that people can relate with. So it doesn't always take a big player to attract the market. How far do you think MLS can go? It's still in the very early stages of the league, but with demographics in North America 
and especially some of the investors and companies that MLS is aligned with, I don't think anyone expects MLS in the next 10 years to be the EPL or the German League or, you know, any of those big leagues in Europe. But do you see a big growth potential? No, oh, of course. And, you know, with the, with the introduction of Messi, <laughs> I think it took the game to a, to a different level. You know, when, when he shows up at any stadium, tickets are sold out. You know, if he's if you know he's coming to town, people want to be there. Not only people, high-profile celebrities wanted to be pitch side. You know, things that MLS has been missing. You know, things that, you know, maybe had MLS lower on the totem pole in terms of excitement and stardom. But Messi surely, surely pushed MLS into a different level. And not only that, the business model of the league is very mm-hmm. secure. You know, with the ownership group, um, you know, they do incremental changes, you know, incremental increases year after year. You know, the model's good and, you know, the league and the popularity is growing and, you know, soccer is the, is the world sport. So there's no shortage of fans and, and, and people to attract. The one thing that I notice um, is all the kids that wear soccer jerseys now. Like you just, it is, we, we, when I was growing up, nobody knew the players. No, like in Canada, it was kind of <laughs> like, it was like, who are these guys? Because we had no coverage of it. But now we get so much coverage of it. But I guess the challenge for MLS teams is to translate the interest in the star players over in Europe into interest in the local team, even if they aren't quite at the level of the English teams, the Spanish teams, or the German club teams. Yeah, and that's exactly it. You know, the player for every market, if you look at, you know, Toronto FC with their model, bringing in the Italians to attract the Italian community and um you know also coming off the the back of Javinko and, and the work that he did back in in those days and here in vancouver it's, it's you know we're bringing in those canadian players you know we have a good contingency of canadian players we have ali ahmed who's breaking into this scene getting his international his first few international caps we have ryan raposo who's been playing very well and like i said sam adekube richie larea you know junior hoylet you know so there's a strong contingency of Canadians, and that's what it takes for each team is to find those players that fit their team, fit their model, but also raises the interest of of their local markets. And you know, it's a it's a balancing act, and it's not always easy. But when you find those players and they fit, it's truly rewarding. We're speaking to former Whitecap to St. Ricketts here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So, uh, Toss, we mentioned your front office work with the Whitecaps. In your post-playing career, you've also dabbled in media. You got to work the 2022 FIFA World Cup in Qatar. What was that What was that experience like? Not just kind of breaking into media. You've only been doing it for a while now, but getting to do it on such a massive platform with Canada participating in the tournament, no less. It was, honestly, people say it all the time, but it was surreal. Like, I think back to it now, and it seems like it was all a dream because it all happened so fast. I had no rehearsals leading up to the World <laughs> Cup. I think I went to the PSN studio one time, put the IBF in my ear, got shocked, like, heard this voice coming from nowhere while I was trying to talk. I think I had, like, a 10-minute rehearsal before going live on, on national television, but... You know, it was a new experience being at the being in Qatar at the World Cup, my first time being at a World Cup, and then obviously Canada being there representing our country for the first time in 36 years. It was um, it was an experience that you know I would never trade for anything, and I was happy I uh, 
took the risk and <laughs> jumped into media. Yeah, it's pretty nerve wracking. I, I, I'm sure. So I'm sure you, you you learned a few things. What do you think Canada learned at the World Cup? Um, a lot. You know, um, the biggest thing is just the the level of each team. You know, if you look across, and you've probably heard John Herdman say it a lot. You know, if you look across the teams who performed well, you know, they have players a large contingency of players playing in the top five leagues in the world. You know, some, some teams had 15, you know, some teams had 10 players playing in the top, top tier teams in the world. You know, we had five at the time and, you know, we still performed well, but there was a gap there in, in, in terms of, of talent. And, but the boys showed heart, you know, they, they pushed Belgium to the brinks, you know, one nothing lost there, um, but they showed well, but, you know, it showed the boys that there's still work to do, a lot of work to do. Uh, one final one before we let you go here. And if you would, if you had the opportunity to reach out to the guys and say, you know what, after the game in Houston on Wednesday, which the games like matches like that are going to happen without question, especially when you're playing seven consecutive away from home, what would be the message for the guys going into these final two matches of the road trip in Real Salt Lake and then Colorado? Just turn the page. Turn the page quickly. Um, you know, if you look up to the week leading into that game, you know, Friday, fly out to Toronto, right. get there around midnight. Next day, play in Toronto, three-hour time difference, four-and-a-half-hour flight. After that game, come straight back to Vancouver. Um, one, You stay here for one day, the Monday, and then another four-and-a-half-hour flight to Houston, different time zone, 30-degree weather, completely different conditions. It's, it's a tough stretch, you know, and with rotation and, and – many games in succession, seven away games, you know, just heads up. I tell the boys heads up, you know, going to Salt Lake, you know, a few players got rested, get the result there and come home for a short break before going to Colorado again. Like there's not much you can say in a situation like this because it is a grueling stretch, you know, at a crucial time of the season. And, you know, the MLS deals with these schedules and, and these road trips pretty often. So maybe there's a conversation there, but, the boys have been resilient. Um, you know, three wins so far out of five games is very good on the road. Yeah. So just, you know, turn the page on to the next and let's get a result in Salt Lake. Toss, this was great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this today. Genuinely appreciate it. Let's do this again. And I'm going to go on my yeah. bold prediction here. When the eve of the Whitecaps hosting a home playoff game in the Ooh. playoffs, we'll do it again. Ooh. Give me chills. Give me chills. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Toss. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks. That's to St. Ricketts. Uh, Whitecaps player liaison, former Whitecap, former Canadian international, 61 caps with Canada. Uh, I met him a couple times. Awesome dude. Yeah, he awesome seems like guy. a great guy. Really yeah. well-spoken. Yeah, he's awesome definitely guy. got a, a future past his playing career. And so it's funny that we, we kicked it off by talking about the recruitment thing because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know how many people remember this, but when Mark DeSantos was the manager of the Whitecaps, he was also tasked with finding all the players. In a large capacity, because they didn't have a scouting department, really. Well, he used an agent, didn't he? Essentially, he had to, because yeah. you know, in addition like, to managing the team. But that was one of well, that was one of the things that some people criticized, right? Like he was beholden to this particular agent. I always felt that it was like it's not your fault, Mark. It's not your fault. I give him a hug, and he's like, I know, and it's yeah. not. He was tasked with too much. That right. was the thing. And now you look at it, and the Whitecaps have a scouting department. They have. Mm-hmm connections and contacts that aren't agent-based because the agents well you still need to have good relationships with agents but you can't can't just be like you're basically our scouting department like 
Toss, for example, that's a great resource because mm-hmm. he's got connections with players as a colleague and a friend and a former teammate. And that's a different agenda than an agent. Yeah. Because the agent's probably going to be like, I have some players for you. They also happen to be my clients, right? This is something entirely different. So I think it's an interesting chapter for the Whitecaps. Anyway, it's Ask Us Anything Friday. It's what we learned. We've got all that. We've also got some audio yeah. 32 thoughts. Let's do an ask us anything first because okay. I kind of want to stoke the Dunbar Lumber text line. We, we don't have enough ask us anything. We got Moj and Dollywall coming up, so you can put in ask us anything for those guys as well, or just us. Uh, Leaf with an ask us anything. I'm married, and most of my old single guy friends are also basically married. Mm. How do I stop the slide into the couple's friends zone? Leaf. There's no stopping that. Friends. No, there is. Organize a boys' trip. That Organ- doesn't stop it, though. That's just a temporary reprieve. Yeah, stalls, stalls, stalls it. Stalls. Well, there's temporary- nothing wrong with go- I not have going re- anywhere. Right? I have like- real genuine advice for Leaf. Okay. That you're going to have to go through some not great couples' friends before you, you hit that sweet spot and you find someone. It's not unlike dating. Do you think you should be you're- allowed to have, uh, like, for each... You know, like you've got some of your significant other's friends that you either don't particularly like them or you don't, more specifically, you don't like their husband or their partner. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. that. that I, think you should, I think you should be allowed to say, like, I don't, we don't do things with them. You get one, maybe. You get one. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you, you can hang out with, you can hang out with her, like right. your friend, but we're not doing I don't like things. that guy. He's boring. I don't like talking to him. It's awkward every time we go out. There should be one that you get to strike. Let me tell you something. When your significant other has a friend and that friend has a significant other that turns out to be all right, that's a big win in your life. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That dude is okay. Then you're like, did he say anything about me? Does he, <laughs> does he like me? Does he think I'm cool? But, uh, I dressed up nice for him. Did he notice? I, I, <laughs> does he make me want to go golf? First hand, golf? First-hand experience, I have been on the other end of this where it's like, oof, I'm going to have to spend a considerable amount of time with this person. That's not great. Because it's yeah. a, it, the relationship is foisted upon you. But here's the thing. Are you good at being friendly? Um, like, are you good at being friendly even if you don't like a guy? Because I'm... Horrible at it. Like uh, I can't fake it. Because you're not, a jerk. Yeah, not you. <laughs> I can't How fake it. Your default what setting. A, I, find, I find it too emotionally draining. Yeah, I know you do. Um, I'm aware of this. Isn't the movie I Love You, Man, basically just about finding like a like a guy friend yes, to break out of the life. couple's friends yeah, sort of mentality? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like a movie to watch for this. But that is, it's a really good movie, actually. Just period. That That's is great. a funny movie. Yeah, slap in the bass. <laughs> they both like Rush. It's great. Yeah. Um, that instance was like meeting very rare. Meeting a guy friend entirely out of the blue mm. is tough, right? right? Usually, usually it'll either be foisted upon you by a significant other, or you'll. And really, it's like sports is the big one, right? Yeah, uh, you'll just because you, you get the older you get, the pool of eligible people gets whittled down, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I can't do it because he's too busy with his wife and kids or his body's broken down. So you have to basically bring anybody into the mix, right? I've met more random dudes playing soccer and I'm like, he's an all right guy. That's great. But so that's a way to meet the friends. And then inevitably it's this couples thing that it's Leaf, right? That he's yep, talking Leaf. about. Yeah. And all I can say to Leaf is that you're going to have to go through some duds big time. Like you're going to, you're going to pull the couple's friendship card and you're going to be like, damn, 
I got the dud. This is going to be a long dinner. Yeah. And you're gonna, like you, Poindexter. And you're going to have to sit through it with Poindexter. <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with it. Stand up for yourself, Poindexter. And then a couple times, you'll go out, and then you'll be able to say, you know what? Not them. Not those two anymore. But you're, there's no other way to get through. You have mm. to sit through it. So now every couple that I've hung out with a couple of times, I'm just going to think that they don't like us anymore. That's why we don't hang out why anymore. Don't we, why don't we ever hang out yeah. with them? Yeah. Maybe that, I'm the problem. It's me. Oh, yeah, I would yeah. definitely... Yeah, you, that's, in the, that's definitely in consideration that you're the problem. Boy, Greg sure lectures everyone at the dinner table, The he? amount of times <laughs> that I had to sit around playing cranium with people I didn't like... <laughs> It is a shocking. We, we played cranium together. I know. <laughs> Did funny you mention that past tense? What the heck, I'm right Not, here. Yeah, there was never going to be a do that again. Uh, okay, uh, let's let's play some quick audio here. Uh, we got to get to uh, Moj at seven thirty. Talk a little Lions, NFL, whatever we want to talk about with Moj, and then Rick Dollywell is going to join us at eight o'clock. This is the latest thirty-two thoughts. We talked about this earlier in the show. The Stephen Stamkos uh, situation in Tampa Bay. Stamkos wants to talk about a contract extension past this particular season, but his general manager to Stephen Stamkos is like. We're going to need a little more time on this one. This is uh, Elliot Friedman on that situation in Tampa Bay. I don't know how Stamkos feels. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I know people who are around Stamkos, and I'm talking about other players. They all, they all, they, as few of them told me that there was this underlying belief around them that Tampa wouldn't be crushed if he left. Nobody, Damn. N- n- nobody is bigger than the team. Nobody. And everyone gets old. Where's your loyalty? Where's your sense of respect for the veteran players? The captain, two-time Stanley Cup Okay. Winner. Remember when he came out in the bubble? His groin was blown to pieces, came out, scored a goal. Yeah, exactly. His groin was blown to pieces. That is a key point. Stamkos uh, <laughs> yeah, is still a... Excuse me? Still a, yeah, yeah, got, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, he blew out the wrong The groin side. goal. <laughs> the groin goal. Remember that? Came out, played one shift, scored, then sat there and writhing in pain. Um, blown to pieces. Yeah. yeah, this is like... The, the funny thing is like when you win with a quote-unquote ruthless organization, it's awesome until it's your turn to you know, get the ruthless treatment. Okay, um, I gotta say, like, I'm I'm joking now. Where I'm doing the pushback. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm the one that always says like contracts are too long. You shouldn't be committed to anything for eight years, let alone a hockey player. So in that mentality, in that line of thinking, I've got to be on board with. Unfortunately, with Breezebois and the Lightning Brass. I mean, to what me, what if Stamkos went and said like, I want a four year contract with a nine million dollar cap hit? You have to be able to say sorry, no. You, you old. Yeah. Not for this earth. Here's the thing. But for this club. I'll ask the, the four of us here, and I can ask myself, the three of us here in the studio, does anyone think that Stamkos is going to play better hockey moving forward than he already has? Short answer. Of course not. Question. No, has Stamkos not. played the best hockey he's ever played yes. in his life? Yes. Right? So you're not going to get grade A Stamkos. You're mm-hmm. going to get something less, and it's going to probably get worse and worse as he goes along. Mm-hmm. And you should pay him. Based on that, right? Yeah. What's to come? Not we're going to pay him retroactively for what he's done. Is it cold-blooded? Yeah, 100%. I don't think anyone's meant more to the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah. in the course of that franchise. Sports are business, man. And is there a risk to the culture? Absolutely there is. Right. But the salary cap is so important. Being efficient with your contracts is so important. Yeah. Moj, so kind of important. So important. So important. So important. Sorry, sorry. 
So important. And he's coming up next on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I did not eat four burgers. 7.31 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today, we are in hour two. Yes, hour two of the program. Uh, hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. He was on the call for last week's magical comeback. Courtesy of the BC Lions against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Joining us now, Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Moj? Okay, where did A-Dog dig up that clip of the four burgers? Uh, it was it Laddie or a dog who did it? It's, it was Laddie. I'm gonna blame Laddie. Yeah, it's an old one we got kicking around from under your videos. I think last year. Yeah, uh, I that. yeah. So that was just the, there was a picture on Instagram that we we went. One of the things we do every time we go to Phoenix, first thing tradition, is we go to In and Out. Yep. So there's four burgers, and there's a picture of me with the four burgers, and everybody assumed. The four burgers were for me, so. <laughs> you just want to clarify that. Okay, I'm glad we were able to play that audio because we weren't actually able to play your call of the Lucky Whitehead touchdown. I know restrictions keep us from doing this sorts of thing, but I just. Uh, money. Yeah, but I just want to say that was an all-timer because we you actually had the video of you getting all excited in the booth. Yeah, and that was awesome. It was a great call. So first off. Great job on that. Secondly, do you ever remember a finish like that? Because I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's the largest fourth quarter comeback in BC Lions history. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for me, the two games that kind of jump out were the comeback win with Nathan Rourke last year in Calgary. And then two years ago, the Hamilton overtime game. Remember Burnham, toe tap, yes. and yes. they had to review it. So those two, but I mean, what they did the other day. The other week, and then that was that was just insane. I mean, you're down 19 <laughs> points. The biggest comeback in team history we found out afterwards was a 20 point deficit against the Alouettes in 2004. But they were down 20 to nothing after the first quarter. Mm-hmm. They had three quarters to you know rally and win that game. I mean, what 19 points in the final eight minutes or whatever it was? And down 19, I should say. It was just it was it was stupid. It was insane. And you know it's crazy because the head coach of the Red Bulls, Bob Dice, is getting so much heat. Yeah. But as one guy told me on the team, he goes, ten things had to go right, and every <laughs> single one of them went right." Was it like was the first half like the Hamilton performance at BC Place, where they just flat, or did it come down to the mistakes that Vernon Adams was making? I think it was probably the combination of both. But it's interesting hearing Rick Camel talk after the game. He said that. You know, he goes, it's not like they, he, he actually brought up the Hamilton game. It's not like the Hamilton game where they didn't have any energy, but they, it seemed like they were surprised that they were in a game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I mean, you look at Ottawa, as bad as their record is, they've lost, what now, seven or eight, eight or nine games by a touchdown or less, and their biggest margin of defeat has been 13 points. So they've been extremely competitive. They've just been on the wrong side of the score all the time. So, yeah, Rick Campbell talked about that, but – the energy wasn't the issue. It's just much, just like it was kind of everybody was kind of like a little 
I don't know want to use the word stunned, but they were in a game, and as he said, somebody was, everybody was kind of looking around for somebody else to make a play instead of stepping up themselves. Uh, the Edmonton Elks, are they good now? Because the Lions have played them twice this season, and they've shut them out both times. But Trey Ford seems to have changed the equation in Edmonton. Well, 4-1 and one in their last five games. And the only other sport that I've played, I think, that you know you could – and I played lacrosse. I didn't play hockey, by the way. But the only other sport that I think that really were a position matters so much in terms of your team's confidence is a goalie in hockey and yeah. a quarterback in football. Um, if you believe in your quarterback and you know or believe that he's going to get the job done, man, it just you, you play with so much more confidence. But when you go into a game and you have doubts about your quarterback's ability and performance, man, it's you're just like you feel like you're already you feel like you're already down a score. And it's like hockey too. I mean, you know, for me, lacrosse. I remember playing in lacrosse. We had two goalies, and one of them was the Pro Hall of Famer in Dallas Ellick, and the other guy. But there was a difference. Like you know, you could there was a palpable difference on the team. If mm-hmm. you know, you had your guy in. Like with Dallas was in, we felt like we win every game. But if Dallas wasn't playing, it was like okay, it's a different story now. So I know uh, Trey Ford was a pretty good player uh, at the University of Waterloo, Heck Crichton Trophy. Um, so, you know, he, he does have some pedigree. But asking around the league, how big a surprise is it that he's taken his game to this level at this point in his career? Well, here's the thing about Trey Ford. I mean, you know, you look at the last game and everyone's talking about Trey Ford. Kevin Brown ran for 175 yards. I mean, that's the highest total this year in the CFL. You look at Trey Ford's numbers, they're not off the charts. But what he does, he gets huge style points for, if you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, that's the thing about Trey Ford is his athleticism. Um, you know, he can do certain things other quarterbacks can't. Mm-hmm. And as a result, that's the stuff you're seeing on the highlight tapes, that's you're seeing on the reels. But I think the big key to this game for the Lions and talking to some of the people on the defensive side of the ball was, you know what, if he's going to break contain and he's going to run around – you know, you'll give them 10, 15 yards or whatever the case may be. But they, what they want to stay away from is when Trey Ford starts running around and breaks contain, and then perhaps a DB leaves his um, assignment area in terms of his zone or if he leaves his man to come up and make a play, and then, you know, Trey Ford hits for a 55-yard game. That's right. what they want to eliminate. They'll give them the 10-yard runs, but they want to take away the big explosive passing plays. Do the Lions have the speed on defense to contain, uh, like the speed and the recognition, the smarts to contain a guy like Trey Ford? I feel like they do. Yeah, well, the big thing is it's discipline in your pass rushing lanes, right? I mean, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, extremely aggressive when you go up against a quarterback like Trey Ford. You try to be, but... The thing that you want to do is you basically want to build a net all the way around them. So when you're coming upfield, you're getting a good push from your – and any running quarterback, you want to get a good push from your tackles, and you also want to have your edge guys come in and squeeze and not get into a tendency of flying right by the guy because right. then he just steps up and he's off to the races, right? Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the big key is just discipline on defense, both in terms of their coverage and also in terms of their pass rush. Yeah, it's tempting to go after a guy that's wide open in the and he's just running and you, you're going aggressively at him. But I've watched Trey Ford a few of his highlights and he'll make you miss. And that's when teams get in trouble. Yeah, and that's what he has the ability to do. And, you know, certain other quarterbacks have the ability to do. They have the ability to make that one-man miss. And when they do, now it's, it's sandlot football, right? I mean... 
you know, he's running around. Receivers are changing their routes. DBs are trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And that's what he brings to the table. That's the element that he brings to the table. I mean, when you look at Trey Ford and his game, what makes him dangerous, it's not him sitting in the pocket and, you know, making a pass. For him, the element, his element that makes him dangerous is when he starts running around and has the ability to extend plays with his legs and make plays downfield. What should we look from from the Lions' perspective, Moj? Well, I mean, Rick Campbell always talks about it. He wants his team to come out and play fast and take away big plays. To me, those are his two keys just about every game. So I think the the start's going to be a big key to this game. But at the same time, this is going to be a really tough game. It is because, you know, Edmonton's playing with a lot of confidence right now. So the Lions are going to have to play a smart game. They're going to have to play a disciplined game. That means no big plays, no stupid penalties at bad times. Um, But if they do that, I like their chances. We're speaking to Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. A presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Uh, Moj, we just finished doing a Seahawks preview with Brady Henderson. Where we were lauding the offensive line amidst all its changes. Uh, what's in store? What's on tap? What's the situation, the status of the BC Lions offensive line moving forward? Well, there is a change. Uh, the roster actually is intact from last week against Ottawa, but Andrew Pearson will not start at left guard. They're going to start David Neville. And David Neville is like, I mean, dude's like 6'7", 325. He played at the University of Nebraska. He's been with the line since 2018, but for whatever reason, whether it be injuries or performance-related, he's never really kind of established himself as a starter in the CFL. And I think this might be one of his, you know, this is probably it for him with the BC Lions because they're looking for him to come in and hopefully establish himself with that left guard position. He has all the tools in terms of, like, you know, the size, the footwork, all of that. It's just, you know, being able to go out there and execute in terms of your technique. So it's going to be interesting to see how they fare at the left guard position because if they don't, in all likelihood, they'll probably move import Philip Norman in there and then have to take an import off on the defensive side. Moj, you know it's Friday. That means it's Ask Us Anything Friday here. Specific one for you. Unsigned text, but it's an Ask Us Anything for Moj. You don't have to do top three. You can maybe even just do the best, but top three board games. Yes, board games, Moj. And the texter wants to know, have you ever flipped a game over out of frustration or otherwise? (laughs) I can see that. And it was like checkers. Uh, no, no, no. Somebody knows me. Somebody knows me because... Oh, yeah, I, know. I see oh, yeah. this. Okay, all right. So when we were in high school, there's a board game called Stratomatic Hockey. Actually, they have Stratomatic Football, Stratomatic Baseball, Baseball yeah. Yeah, yeah. all of it. Um, we actually have Stratomatic Hockey League. Like, we would take two teams, we'd make trades, you'd have, like, you know, 40-game seasons. And for people that don't know, it's, it's a board and, uh, dice, uh, dice and cards game. Players have cards, and the cards represent how good the player would have been in real life. So if you had Wayne Gretzky on your team, Gretzky would be your leading scorer. He'd be a great passer, you know, all that stuff. So, yeah, um, I do recall flipping a couple of tables when, you know, the dice just weren't rolling my way. Um, so not, not uh, somebody might know me from those days, but, yeah, that, that's that's totally true. Moj, enjoy tonight. Should be a lot of fun. Enjoy all the NFL action this weekend as well, and uh, we'll do this again next week. And by the way, next week, I'm really looking forward to the premiership being back this week. Yeah. 15 teams in the fantasy pool this year, baby. Right now, I'm right there on third. Nice, man. Moj is a modern Pep Guardiola. You guys have the same haircut. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, fellas, have a good weekend. Thanks, Moj. Appreciate it, bud.
Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650, a presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Uh, I'll let you. This has been. I've been trying to find a way to discuss this it's sports, but there's no real. Like no one texted in about it, and it's not real. There's not a lot of meat on the bone, but you know Detroit Tigers slugger Miguel Cabrera. Mm-hmm. Um, Laddie, you're aware that this is kind of like his swan song, his farewell. He's mm-hmm. doing. He's doing the Jeets, but to a lesser degree. Jeter, Mariano Rivera both got the league-wide farewell tour. Ortiz right? got one, too. Right. I don't like them inherently. Why not? I, I don't think that you should be celebrating another player when you're playing the, that player. It's there's called, lots it's of time. Called respect. There's lots of time to celebrate a guy when he retires. He's got nothing to do. He's not playing anymore. Do it then. Apparently the A's agree with you. So the Oakland Athletics... Uh, you know how you give gifts to the guy, right? Every yeah, team yeah. gives a gift. And it's either usually uh, a really expensive gift or something heartfelt, like we made a rocking chair out of bats, uh, right. you know, something like that. So it's like when you give a gift to someone, just no- a normal person, not Miguel Cabrera. It's either you spend mm. a lot of money or you put some thought into it. Oakland did neither. <laughs> <laughs> what, did they give him a gift certificate? They gave him a bottle of wine. That's okay. The wine was retailing for $90. Now, I know what you're saying at home. That's a pretty expensive bottle of wine. Not for a Major League Baseball organization. Okay? I saw an Oakland A's fan defending it on Instagram. You saying, can't. Depending on the season, it could be as high as $300. No. Yeah. Ooh. There's so, so it's many- quite nice wine. Yeah. It's quite nice. There are people screen capping BevMo or Wines R Us or wherever you can get this thing, showing them... Like, there are certain things that you just can't do. Mm-hmm. And there has to be a correlation between your your value, your worth, your net worth, and then the kind of gift you get. Because this is embarrassing, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, I, they're going to be out of Oakland soon. That I feel bad because I love, duh, sorry, past tense. I love the Oakland days. Yeah. I love the uniforms, the history of the team. They're such an embarrassing franchise now. Charlie Finley, the old mm-hmm. owner, all of it. Yeah. And it's an embarrassment. Can I also mention something else? That they yes, gave him a Greg, bottle of wine. Can. Miguel Cabrera famously has gone through an intense alcohol issue in his life. Like Did He went to rehab right. in 2010. Oh, I didn't know that. So yeah, uh, the fact then. that this team went out and bought him a bottle of wine is also a little... Yeah. It's like a lack of research to me. It's just such a weird gift to give Miguel Cabrera. Uh, do you want to do some NFL locks of the week? Uh, yeah, let's r- let's rattle through because I, I I'm actually uh, talk me through this, okay? Yeah, okay, shoot. I'm looking at the Saints Packers game in Green Bay. Yeah, and I see that Green Bay is one and a half point favorite. The Packers are one and one. The Saints are two and zero, oh, but I don't really believe in the Saints. Mm-hmm. And Jordan Love's been pretty good so far, hasn't he? Yeah, he has been. I think like shouldn't the Packers Packers should probably be two and zero oh as well. Um, I think that this line has moved all over the place. Okay. I think it started as... Am I missing some obvious injury news or something like that? Um, well, the I mean, I, I, there's the short week thing with the mm-hmm. Saints, right? Because they played Monday Night Football. The Saints are probably the most fraudulent of the 2-0 and teams. And I say this right. knowing that there's some fraudulent 2-0 and teams out there. Mm-hmm. Like, they've won in spite of Derek Carr. At quarterback. Right. Okay. Um, they're down to maybe the third string running back in Tony Jones Jr. Because Camara's out and Williams is... What about the pack, though? <sighs> Joe, one and a half points is not not many to cover. They beat the Bears. Yeah, which is nothing. To Who, and then about. if you look at that in the rear view, like the Bears are bad and mm-hmm. a totally dysfunctional franchise right now. 
I don't, I mean, yeah, that's a tough one. You get a lot of really questionable lines early in the season, right? Because you're still doing the feeling out of fake. You got to remember, in a reactionary league, which the NFL often is, is, and especially in week one, you either bet on the bounce back for week two, or you convince yourselves that what you thought saw in week one is what this team is going to be. That's a very difficult task both ways. I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Packers minus one and a half is my lock of the week. Lock of the week. And I'm coming off a big win, by the way. I'm one and one on the season, like the Packers. Yeah. I had the Bills last week to bounce back after their performance against the Jets. That was a was good. That was a very good. Mostly known walk. for the Aaron Rodgers injury, but they went and they went home. And they were like, we're back in Buffalo now, and they smoked the Raiders. That was a very good lock because a lot of people were down on the Bills after week mm-hmm. one. Like, I, I, I knew what you were doing, and I, I agreed with the premise of it. But I was, it was still little, a lot of points, though. It was like eight and a half points. Yeah, and they won by 28, so they, they more than covered that. Um, Look, I'm going with the Seahawks. I know, I know, I know. Mm, I do not like this pick. I'm going with the Seahawks minus the six against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Um, I have very little faith in this Panthers team because I don't care who's at quarterback. They don't have a lot of weapons around the quarterback. Like, they didn't do a great job of surrounding Bryce Young with talented football players in his rookie year. That's why he's constantly running for his life. Yeah, their offensive line is not good. The Seahawks never beat teams handily, though. I feel like this is a special kind of stink on the Panthers. Like, I I do not think that they're a good football team. And I know everyone's going to say, Andy Dalton beat the Seahawks last year as a member of the New Orleans Saints. One, he didn't. Taysom Hill beat them. Two, the two things that I liked, trend-wise for the Seahawks, is that they are winning it in the trenches. They are winning those battles at the Mm, line of scrimmage. Yeah. They are. They didn't dominate Detroit, man. And they got beaten up by the Rams. They allowed 2.9 yards per carry through the first two games. And against Detroit, on the road against a team that has a pretty good pass rush with Aiden Hutchinson, they didn't let them get to Geno. I thought that was a big thing. Backups on the offensive line. I'm looking at this. The Carolina Panthers are missing their starting quarterback, Bryce Young. They're missing the starting uh, linebacker, Shaq Thompson, who's out for the year. I just think that this is an opportunity for the Seahawks to go out and whip on a team who's coming across the country playing in Seattle, and they can make amends for that egg that they laid in their home opener against the Rams, which was a colossal disappointment. Give Mm. me the Seahawks minus six at home against the Panthers on Sunday. Lock of the week. Want to do some Ask Us Anything? Yeah, Robin Westman has a good one. Ask Us Anything. Based on your personality and your lifestyle, not looks, too easy. If you were reincarnated into an animal, which animal would it be? So Rob is obviously... (laughs) Took you zero seconds to come up with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Robin Westman is obviously um, not looks too easy. I'm going to be a horse. (laughs) 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 Oh, I see it. I see it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Ferraro says one thing like five years ago that you've got kind Haunting of a, you for the rest a of your long life. face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ferraro, I texted him the other day. I was like, welcome back to hell. Yeah. It's hard to do. You're on, the Canucks. You're on the Canucks beat now. Yeah, it was tough. Um, I, had to, I had to voice to text. <laughs> we should have asked, by the way, we should have asked Tomlinson yesterday. Like, this, this is how. This same question? What no, not, not about be? the horse face thing. Um, we should have. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> no. Uh, we should have had, we should have asked. This is how bad we are at journalism. Hey, how's the job share going to work with Ferraro? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's a, like, they're they're splitting the gig, and we just didn't. 
We just didn't. Well, I, I I actually still don't think everyone knows for sure which games. Yeah, I just said he's do. doing some regional games. But yeah. I, I bet he has to do regional games because of his contract. You know who yeah, probably knows a little bit about it is Dave Tomlinson, who we should have asked about that. Yesterday. Yeah, I digress. You know, we'll we'll find out when. Okay, hold on here. Though. So, but Robin I, I want to answer fan. the uh, yeah. Yeah. back to the animal. Okay, um, are we going on like the sort of religious concept of reincarnation that you come back based on what you've done? Like you know, you don't get to choose what you're reincarnated as. You're sort of foisted into. I think this is what you would prefer to be. Like you're a donkey now. I want to be a cat. You want to be a cat. I love to sleep, and I'm kind of a jerk. Okay, but it can occasionally be loving. Um, Five minutes a day. Yeah, right. There's a short window. Purring thing too. He does sometimes. Really freaks everyone out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Choke. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'm choking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cat. Cat is an amazing life. I think I, I don't. I don't think I'd care for the food. But some of those cats eat all right, man. Big yeah, seafood yeah. fan. Yeah, cat food smell is is pretty bad. But I, yeah, cat cat's an easy one for me. A little whiskers, right? In your diet. Now the only problem with being a cat is that you know sometimes you're you're not going to have the best life. Yeah, that's right? true. That's you, true. You got to be like a lucky cat. I would like. I basically want to be my cat. cat the, the biggest issue with the cat is that you're too beholden to your owner. Right, mm, not really as a cat. You can just you be feral. Yeah, well, no, no one wants to be a feral cat. Oh, beholden in terms of like you need them for your food. Yeah, but your 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 life and quality of it is going to be largely dictated by your owner. Let's just be real here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. I hope I'm an indoor cat. Right, right? Like a feral cat doesn't seem like a lot of fun. I think I'd want to be something that had the capacity to fly. Like I'm leaving it open. Oh to, yeah, you, you know, know what? Yeah. Someone takes an eagle. You can fly. You mainly eat salmon, and you're internationally protected. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Like, I don't want to hunt side. down You're, your murderer. Right. The eagles are above the law. Eagles, they can do whatever they want. That's right. You're pretty majestic. People like yeah, you. Yeah. They've they're got, like, they've got like, diplomatic immunity. They're like, right? license to kill. They're like James Bond, pretty much. You just do whatever they want. Eagles do? Yeah. I don't think you understand eagles. Yeah. They, or James Bond. They could yeah. yeah. like, kill with impunity. Oh, he's got license are you to kill. Iron yeah. Eagle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not to be confused with an Iron Eagle. Someone asked. Oh, I just got that. Iron Eagle. It's a it's a plane. Yeah. It flies. Yeah. Like I never even thought about that. It's majestic. How? That's your favorite movie. Alfred under the radar jokes today. Dinner and them in there. Nobody's <laughs> yeah. appreciating them. That's fine. Um, someone asked on the subject of seafood, because we were talking about cat food, what's the best part of a seafood boil? Here's a bigger question. Have any of us here actually ever had a seafood boil? What is that? Um, you throw in, well, I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory, Andy. I feel you like I shouldn't have to. seafood? Exp- yeah. So is, is it grilled? Right. I feel like I shouldn't have to explain that part. How long do you it. stick it in the oven for? Um, <laughs> I mean, I've had I've had boiled seafood. You're making it sound so much more fancy than it is. I don't it think sounds I made it awful. Sound, I don't think I made it sound fancy, fancy at all. I just said it was a seafood boil. A seafood boil. Basically, you lay out uh, on a long table. I could have tried the boil. Stop talking. You lay out on a long table, like a big sheet of uh, parchment paper, butcher's paper. Okay. You boil everything that you would consume, potatoes, corn, all the seafood. And you put it in a bunch of seasonings and spices, and then you boil it, it brings it to a boil. Then you kind of lay it out on the table, and everyone just picks at it with their hands. You know what? I've never partaken in something it's like, like a hot pot. Kind of, except except you have to just put it out on the table for all to consume, right? It's a very yeah. sort of primal. I don't yeah. like things that are boiled. Okay, I think you're all missing the point. I don't. That's eat seafood, fine. So I'm um, you don't eat seafood. that we don't, don't know about seafood. the seafood boil. 
It's it's yeah. not a it's not a huge common occurrence. Like it's not a seafood boil restaurants. Yeah, it's incredibly is that, expensive. Is that what you messy. do at your house? You just boil a pot and throw. So stuff for in there? example, we went on a, a buddy stag up to Bamfield and we went fishing. And you had a seafood boil because we didn't catch much. Oh, okay. And so they're like to compensate for you losers not catching anything. We'll do a seafood boil. And then theirs was they put out the prawn and crab traps. Okay. Because that's easy to get. Right. right. It doesn't. And you just leave it out there and then you bring it in. Anyway, it was the idea. You spread it out on the table and you just gorge and feast mm-hmm. on more seafood than you could ever imagine. I want to try okay. this. The ant, yeah, it's there's not a lot of restaurants that do it. It's so a tough, are you it's a tough are you volunteering this and you're going to invite us to your house? I couldn't gonna... do it. It oh. takes a lot of time and effort. You have to I mean, you have to get all this different seafood. Why are we talking about this again? Someone asked what's the best part of a seafood boil. The answer is prawns. I love prawns. Oh, I could okay. eat prawns. That was a roundabout way to get to that answer. I thought we were still on the animals. Uh well, technically there's some animals in there. Not yeah, but really you don't want to be animal. part of a seafood boil. No. That would hurt. Uh, Rick Dollywell is coming up next. Uh, we'll talk about the McKayev situation, uh, Tanner Pearson's interview in Montreal. Uh, Noah Juleson paired with Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes. Noah Juleson paired with Quinn Hughes, uh, plus lots more. <laughs> it's a Friday, and it's at this point in the show that I say. seafood boil. Juleson <laughs> pairing. Juleson Jules. I love it. It's got its own name. Don't Jules- go, you can't go the other way with it. And it's Hughes. Hughes. Don't go the other That was a good joke that you had. Hughes-son. Um I don't know. For some reason, you're listening to the Alfred and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650.